Don't add to this. Don't take away from this. God's word is complete. You don't get to throw your opinions into it. You don't get to put the teachings of man into it. None of that stuff matters. You stick to what God said or you're going to run into problems. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we've got Eric. Morning. And we've got Tracy. Morning. And we've got Karen. And her cinnamon eating roll, cinnamon roll eating cat who is sitting beside me begging for more. <laughs> well, I'm a little jealous of the cat because I want a cinnamon roll. I had a banana. Sounds cinnamon healthier. Uh, yeah, probably. Probably. Well, guys, I got, I have to tell you a story that happened to me earlier this week. So, you know, uh, last weekend was three day weekend. It's Sunday night. And usually around 930, 945, my coach starts turning into a pumpkin and I need to be in bed by around 10 because I'm out cold by 1015. Well, Sunday night, I'm just not getting tired. I'm staying up. I'm watching Cobra Kai and, uh, it's it just keeps getting later and later, and it's about one o'clock before I finally decide. Okay, I just need to shut this off, and I need to go to bed, even though I don't really have anything to do the next day because you know it's a it was it was Labor Day, but so Shannon and I head to bed, and um, we're in the we're we're in the bedroom. I'm just about ready to crawl into bed, and our doorbell rings. One o'clock in the morning, the doorbell rings. So of course, Shannon and I look at each other. Like, what in the world is this? Uh, so I go to the door, and I look out the peephole, and of course it's dark. I can't see anything, so I turn the light on. Still really can't see anything. I figure it's probably just kids, you know. Totally expecting to open the door and find nothing there. Well, I open the door, and there's a man standing on my doorstep. Oh, boy. So I cautiously open the storm door, and uh, he immediately starts apologizing. I'm so sorry for, for ringing your doorbell. I just didn't know what else to do. He starts rattling off stuff. I'm supposed to be over at such and such an address, and I've been walking for hours, and I don't know where I am. Like, well, I said, what's the address? And he says it again. I get thinking, I'm like, that's about halfway across town. So which direction do I need to go? And I point in a direction. He literally drops down and starts sobbing on my doorstep. I've been walking for hours. I'm so tired, and I've been walking the wrong direction. Oh, boy. So I ask him again, what is the address you need to get to? And he tells me again, I said, okay, hold on, I'll give you a ride. Now, my wife is standing behind me this whole time, and she's freaking out because, uh, you know, we got this weird, weird dude on our doorstep at one o'clock in the morning. But uh, I go and I, I get I get dressed again, and I'm, I grab some keys, and I'm out the door to help this guy out. And we start, I start driving him home, and he's telling me about his wife and and well, even then, sometimes the story would change. He, he calls her his girlfriend. And I'm not sure what's going on. But I mean, the long story short is I give this guy a ride home at one o'clock in the morning. We get to his house. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, there it is. There's apartment. There's my apartment. There's my apartment. And the whole time I'm thinking, how do you not know how to get to your how do you not know how to get home? You know, but got him home safe, got home safe. Everything turned out fine. But it was such a weird situation all the way around. Like I said, usually I'm I'm fast asleep by then. And the guy goes. He says, you know, probably anybody else would have called the cops. <laughs> and either 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 they either somebody would give me a ride home or the cops would give me a ride to the police station. But I'm just so tired. Well, you know, I guess there's enough 
<laughs> there's enough bad things going on and God sent you to the right house because normally I would be fast asleep by now. So he sent you to me because he knew I'd give you a ride today, I guess. So that's my uh, kind of crazy beginning to the week. That's a crazy beginning. That is. For sure. <laughs> that is. <laughs> so, you know, it's just got to be thinking, you know, the times that God has like unexpectedly sent someone to us for help or, that you know, those weird times when you're just like, this would never happen normally. Uh, and um, I figure I figure most of us probably have a story of some kind like that. So any of you guys have a story like that? What about you, Eric? I, I know you give me a heads up. This might be coming um, in, a, in a very vague way. No, I don't have a specific <laughs> thing. I mean, well, actually, actually, um, the closest, and I don't want to take a long time, is that yes, it was it was two summers ago. We were um, hiking, and we hiked up to a lake in California. It was way above Lake Tahoe, way, way, way up by treeline in California. So it was pretty high, wow. and there was a little um, a little souvenir shop and cafe, and about ten little cabins. There was nobody in the cabins because it was too early in the year, too much snow. And there was one girl. She was a uh, early teen probably in the store. And I had gone in the little store. I mean, there's like nothing, nobody around here. It's kind of like, think Swiss Village, right? Except mm-hmm. 10 cabins. And I walked in and to ask her something. And she comes out with a big wad of, uh, with, uh, of like paper towel on her finger. She's holding it. And she's looking kind of gray. And I'm like, so... Hey, what's so I forgot what I was gonna ask her. I said, What's what's going on there? She says, I I cut my finger. I said, Well, let's let's just see. She said, I think it's okay. I said, like, Well, you look you don't look very good. So she pulled the thing off, which of course pulled and she basically cut the tip of her finger off. Ouch. So I was like, Oh, Kidoki, we're gonna call my wife who who is a doctor, and we said, Hey, let's let's um let's work with you here. And so we worked with her, you know, in the kitchen and she was cutting tomatoes and basically cut the tip of her finger off. It was just hanging on. Mm. And, um, we were, we were just working with her and washing and she just about passed out. She just looked and just, she, she, she was freaking out cause it was bleeding like crazy. And we're like, it's okay. It's okay. You know, my wife's a doctor. We're going to be, you're going to be all right. And she was just, she was ramping up to just, pass out on the floor. And so we arranged a radio call down the mountain to her supervisor who wasn't due to be up there for like the rest of the day. And anyways, we stayed, we stayed with her until we got it all put together. And then she calmed down and we just felt like, what are the odds that we would be the only people there, Mm -hmm. you know, to meet this girl who was, I'm quite certain would have just passed out on the floor. It wouldn't have killed her, right? No. Right. But um but she I think just needed somebody just to be there with her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, got the right one. Well, what about you, Karen? Well, I don't I don't really have any sort of mad skills, so 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 no, except if God sends me people, it's usually to say something to them, not do something for them, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, And I've had a few of those over the course of my life, just people where I'll be sitting there having a conversation and I just know at this moment that I need to say this particular thing. And I, I have, 
I am enough of an introvert that I have resisted the urge a couple of times and I have regretted it both times. That's happened twice in my life where I've thought, mm, that's socially uncomfortable. I, I hope that's not the Holy Spirit and I just bypass it and the moment passes, right? And you can't go back and recreate those. And I have regretted it deeply both times because one, one time within 10 minutes and one time within a week, I knew, I knew that that had been the Holy Spirit and I had missed my moment. Mm. So, but usually it, for me, it's saying something. Yeah. And thank um, goodness most of the time I listen. <laughs> I'm guessing it's time, probably more than just saying, hey, you have spinach in your teeth. Exactly. Yes, it is <laughs> definitely more than saying, hey, you have spinach in your teeth. I mean, the only time, the only time I can think of that I really felt like God was leaning on me to do something was I was driving, I, I used to live in Alaska and um, I was driving. It was kind of like a shoulder season, which in Alaska still means it's pretty stinking cold out. And I never pit as a female driving alone in a car. I never pick up hitchhikers, but here was a hitchhiker on this road. There's no traffic around because of the time of day it's cold out and he's jogging while he hitchhikes. Like he's not hitchhiking for fun. He's hitchhiking because he's got to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. And he and all and this voice in my head said, stop and pick him up. And I was like, okie dokie, because I know that voice. And so I pulled over and I picked him up and I drove him 45 miles. Like we went from the wilderness through one town down the road to another town. And I dropped him off in North Pole, actually. Um, out in the out in the woods in back of North Pole, he had this business he was trying to get to. I don't know why that was important, but for whatever reason, God reached down and said, "Stop and pick him up, take him wherever he needs to go." And so I did. Wow! See, you have skills. You can drive. Good job. That's all. That's all I did. <laughs> my most recent one. My most recent one actually happened at church. Um, it's a couple couple years ago, I guess. A few years ago, I don't know. Um, this guy who hadn't been to church in a long time. Um, I, I came in, I slid into a pew, I glanced over to see who was sitting there. And it's this guy that I haven't seen in several years. And as, as clear as can be, the Holy Spirit says in my voice, be excited to see him, get him involved with music. Mm. Okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, so I did. And, and I, and in retrospect, I can see that that was part of God's effort to sort of woo him back into congregation with him. Hmm. So I was happy to have been part of that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tracy? You know, I would say ours is usually like a family kind of thing, only because my, well, it's a family, but more my wife owns a a day spa. So she literally comes home, it seems like all the time, that says, you know, God put such and so such at my door or you know, I had to share a, a message, kind of like what Karen was saying. And, you know, she's almost kind of called it her spa of like healing. And it sounds kind of kind of cheesy, but, you know, she says that sometimes people just land on her door because they need something. You know, they need a word. They need it pointed their direction to church. And, you know, they need some kind of healing. They need somebody to talk to. And she's usually there to to minister to them. And she goes... I don't know why she goes, but they just are gravitated there. I didn't need any kind of spa service. I didn't want to do anything like that. or And they just kind of land in her chair and she's able to minister to them. You know, we've had people eat dinner with us. We've had people stay with us. 
you know, we've helped people get set up in apartments and furnished apartments and, you know, that kind of thing. So I think, you know, sometimes God just puts people on your doorstep and he knows that, you know what, this is my servant and they can help you. So we tend to see that a lot, actually. And, and I can't say it's me. And it's usually my wife. And I'm just yeah. going, oh, okay. You know, there's never a lack of food. There's never a lack of being able to find a Bible scripture or point somebody in the right direction. But, you know, it's always, you know, it might sound a little selfish, but it tends to be a blessing for us, too. Sure. Yeah. Just got just uh being being open to it seems like you get more opportunities the more the more you're open to it. So. Well, I like stuff like Ooh. that because it reminds me because it, and it's sometimes it's easy for me to forget in day to day life. I just get, kind of get caught up in you know going from this moment to the next moment, and I forget there's a bigger plan. Like God's mm-hmm. in control, yep. He's actively involved, and and when the timing is proper, He reaches down and intervenes for certain people. And I know that he has put certain people in my path to intervene with me at different times to say or do something that I needed. And and so when when I find myself in a situation where I get to be that person for somebody else, I'm always really excited about it. Like, yes, I don't know what that meant in the grand scheme of things, but I got to be a part of it. Yeah. You know, I don't always recognize it until after the fact. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's usually the times when I, if I, if I don't think much about it and I go ahead and go with it, that's when I later go, oh, hey, this was a God thing, <laughs> yep. you know, and yeah, well, also if I overthink it, don't step in, then I later go, oh, well, that was a God thing, you know, but well, it, it's cool. It's, 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 it's interesting when we can recognize those times when God has uh, utilized our abilities for whatever it is we're able to do at the time. But we just passed 9-11, right? Yeah. And and nine eleven is full of those kinds of stories. Like if you if you if you read the stories of people who were supposed to be in the buildings that day, and yet one thing happened that was out of the ordinary, and so the so they weren't right. Like there's right. there's definitely like God won't let you get taken before your time, and God actively intervenes to put you where you should be and where you shouldn't be. It's crazy. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. We definitely have a God who cares and works in our lives all right well let's get into our reading we are starting a new book this week we are in the last of the five books of what is known as the pentateuch or the torah it's also known as the law Uh, when you talk about the law and the prophets they're generally talking about these five books as the law they're really the five books the five books we've been reading or or we will start finishing up here the fifth but um they're really all the establishment of the society that we will be following now through the rest of the Bible. And Deuteronomy begins, really it's a lot of review of things we've already read, but Moses is kind of going through this stuff again with the Israelites, and the reason he's doing this is because this is basically a new group of people uh, from those who left Egypt. All those who left, their basically dead by now except for a small handful not even a full not even a handful you've got well, we'll get to who that is Great. Caleb and Joshua. Like, yep, yeah Caleb Joshua and Moses still around yep that's it hey does does anybody know in in the in the original scroll you know scrolls did were these books named or did we name them later 
Does, does anybody know? Because my Bible had this weird reference at the top of Deuteronomy. It said that Deuteronomy is the English word, is the English translation of the Greek word for repetition of the law. And mm -hmm. it didn't even say what the Greek word was. It just said, this is what Deuteronomy means. And I thought to myself, how on earth did the Greeks, get, how on earth did Greek get involved? Yeah. So my Bible, my Bible usually gives a little uh, discourse on where it got its name from. A lot of these Hebrew texts, they would take the name from the first few words. In, okay. in the text itself. But here it says the Hebrew title of Deuteronomy is Hab, let me see if I can say this, Hadabarim, meaning the words, taken from the opening phrase in 1 1. These are the words. Okay. Well, that uh, makes the, more sense than Greek. Yeah. Um, gives us some other cool things here. Um, Deuteronomy has been called five fifths of the law since it completes the five books of Moses. The Jewish people have also called it Mizna HaTorah, repetition of the law. Yeah, there we go. Uh, which is translated in the Septuagint as Tu Deuteronomion Tuoto, this second law. How do you like my pronunciation? It's phenomenal. You're killing it, man. So, yeah, we get some, a lot of these names of these books we get. Usually it is from a Greek translation of it. So, yeah, yeah. The, the the Hebrews would not have called this Deuteronomy, but it all has to do uh, similarly with how it, it's repetition of of um, the laws. So yeah, we do get a lot of repetition here, where um, it starts out telling us this is in the fortieth the fortieth year, and Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. And so the context of it there given to us in verse four is that this is after Sihon and Og have both been defeated, and it's it's. This is the time right now. This is the, the time to go in and possess this land uh, that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all those centuries, millennia ago, you know. And, um, well, centuries, not millennia, because we've talked about that 400 years. You know what I felt when I read it? It was like a stroll down memory lane for Moses and all the people. He was like, you know, I'm getting ready to leave only because, you know, I've we read farther along. We kind of know the story and how he's going to pass away. He can't go to Canaan. But mm -hmm. he was kind of taking him on a journey and saying, listen, this is where you came from. This is yep. why we do this. These are the laws. This is what we've seen. This is where we've been and this is where we're going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought the yeah. same thing as I was reading Give it. But I, I, I come from the business world. And, and to me, I was like, oh, it's like an executive summary. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting as we're reading, as I was reading through this, it's like, yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about there. Oh, yeah, I know what he's talking about there, you know. And he begins with talking about how the hierarchies were established within Israel with the tribal leaders. And you'll remember this, where there were, he placed heads over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and he had officers um, within mm -hmm. the tribes, too, to make judgments between people. You'll remember that that was, that, that goes Jethro. back to his, to Jethro, to his father-in-law. Uh, recommending this when Moses finally realized I can't I can't do this by myself. What am I going to do? And Jethro said, "Well, here's an idea for you, and it's a good idea." And uh, so only the hardest cases then would come to Moses. And we've listened to a few listened. We've read about a few of those cases. Was it just last week, week before? You know, we were talking about women's rights issues that Moses was having to deal with for a society that really had no idea how to handle women's rights. Very interesting. Talks again there goes on. It talks about how Israel refused to enter the land when it was first given to them. 
Now, at this point, this wouldn't this wouldn't necessarily be the people he's speaking directly to that refused to go in because those people are gone. So these are basically I mean, if any of these people were around at that time, they were children. But God keeps referring to them all as, well, you you wouldn't go in. You didn't you didn't want to do this. But um, reminds them that they wanted to send spies in to to see what the land was all about, and Moses agrees. And I got to say, at first when I was reading that, I was thinking, yeah, you know, that was kind of an odd. You know, was it a wise thing to want to go in and spy out the land when God has already told you it's good and it's going to be yours? Uh, it almost it almost seemed like a little, maybe a little dis distrust. You know, did you guys feel like that at all, or do you think? Do you are you like Moses? Because Moses says I thought it was a good idea. So, what did you think? I think it's all how they interpret it. It's, yeah, I mean, there it is. If they all came back like Caleb and Joshua and said, "It's awesome, it's incredible, let's go," well, yeah. that would have had a very different result. Mm-hmm. And you know, when they went out and when they were promised this in Deuteronomy one seven, if you actually read the geography there of what they were supposed to take. Yeah. They never, they never accomplished or did what they were supposed to have. They were supposed to have a kingdom bigger than they ever had. Mm. Yeah. They didn't do it. They did, they did not do it. Um, but, you know, Moses is saying, hey, here's where we were. Here's what's happened. And it's interesting. This is, a, this is a very Jewish and Middle Eastern type thing. Is when he says you, it includes the either the sins or the blessings of the, the, uh, the ancestry. Mm-hmm. You're included in that stuff, and when he hits chapter, I mean, chapter one, verse ten, and he talks about you are more numerous today. That that goes back to the promise in Genesis fifteen five that you'll be, you know, when when Abraham didn't even have any kids, yep. your offspring will be like the stars of heaven, you know, or the sand of the shore. I'm, which I'm sure with no children, it's kind of hard to picture that. But Moses here, and this is really important for us, I think, today is God saying, look, I promised you in this past, and here it's happening. This should give you faith, you know, because mm-hmm. they, were, they were nothing. And here they are, you know, several million people. And he's, he's reminding them, hey, here's where you've been. Here's because it's a buildup to where we're going. And he reminds them of things that he's told them before. Don't be, don't be partial in, in, um, in your judging and so on. And then he rolls... He rolls through and he sets the stage, which we're going to get to later, I hope, in Deuteronomy here, is, to, is that God is going to give it to them. You know, in, in, uh, in verse 21, he's, we see, do not fear or be dismayed. And then he goes down and starts giving a summary that we see again at the beginning of Joshua. Uh, the Lord who goes before you will fight will himself fight for you. And they remind you, the Lord, your God, carried you as a man carries his son, which is a pretty awesome picture of, of God carrying his people through the desert. This is Moses telling them, like, look. And then the sad part, 32, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. He's... He's trying to say, hey, look, here's where you've been, because he is, he's setting the stage before they go in. And he's he's trying to say, I believe, hey, this is what happened in round one. Please don't make round two like round one. 
Yeah, and because of that not believing, we're reminded here of the penalty that that incurred upon them, where none of those people of that time would go in. They, you know, they got everybody got to see it, or at least from a distance, I guess. But none of them were going to get this thing now, except, like we already said, Caleb and Joshua. You know, and I think too with with the spies, I didn't think it so much as as a like a lack of faith, maybe, but a little bit of uh, reconnaissance, maybe. Yeah. Uh, to send in a few people, you know what? Because I want them to see what's there. I want them to see what I'm going to give them. And then so they'll know that this is a divine plan. This is my plan. And human nature did not allow them to come back with, you know, a positive outlook. They looked at the negative part of it, you know, all except uh, all except the two. And I think that's what it was more for is just uh, a preview. Yeah. If you will. Mm hmm. Yeah. And then they just they took it the wrong way. Yep. Well, yeah. quite literally, they didn't use they they did not go by faith, and this is the thing that I think contemporary Christians struggle with as well, uh, myself included, is in chapter one forty one, they wouldn't take it by faith, right? And then he mm-hmm. says, he's reminding them. Then you answered me. We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go now. Contrast that to what God has said up I in will. thirty. The Lord will fight for you. Right. <laughs> then the people right. say, well, they, they said, well, basically, well, we're not going to trust God to do it. And God says, OK, fine, don't go. And they said, no, 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 we changed our mind. We'll go ourselves. And then there's a word that shows up that I think is one of the is a thing that I that I struggle with is the word presumptuously. Mm. God says, I'm not going to go with you. I'm not blessing this. And they moved forward presumptuously. In other words, what they're, correct me if I'm wrong here, and this is a point of discussion, is that they were going to take the name it and claim it. God Mm. didn't say that he was going to bless them with that. In fact, he said he wasn't going to. But they said, well, we're just going to name it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it in God's name. And here we go. Yay. And the idea of simply naming something, this is God's work, and we're doing it in faith, even when it goes against what God had said, it was, a, it was a miserable fail and it pushed him back into the desert 40 years. Yeah. But my point in question is this, is sometimes we don't have a Moses who said, yeah, I just talked to God firsthand and mm-hmm. here's what you're supposed to do is where do we move forward in faith and where does that cross the line and blur into presumptuous action? You know, we've talked about, um, you know, I'll use myself as an example, you know, choosing a new career or going to a new place or doing a new thing. It's like, well, how much of this is faith? Like, I'm just going to close my eyes and just walk forward. And how much of that becomes presumptuous of like, well, I'm not going to actually do any of the due diligence. I'm not going to do the things, but I'm going to just I'm just going to call it faith and go on. I think that I end up in those predicaments all the time. So glad to know it's not just me. Mm-hmm. And I and I I don't have a Moses and I don't have a Urim and a Femum. <laughs> mm. And I and I don't always trust that the internal opinion that I'm hearing is is the Holy Spirit as opposed to me. 
So, so often when I am in a situation like that, I, I will say to God, okay, I think this is the right thing to do. I'm going to start moving forward. If this is the wrong thing to do, would you please stop me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, and I have to take like that more passive approach. You know, I, I, have enough initiative in my system that I, I can't stand sitting and waiting unless I feel like I'm supposed to, like maybe this isn't the right time. There's nothing to do, but sit and wait right now, in which case I, I taught, I can tolerate it. But that, so that's kind of my fallback is it's not, I don't know if you could really call that a fleece test, but it kind of is like, like, like do something, like do something to make this clear. Like I need, I need your divine opinion on this directional thing that I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. And it can, I think it can be just as detrimental to not move forward as it can be to move forward without the blessing. You know, when you, those times when you have that clear, that clear idea that, that God wants you to do it and you decide not to do it, that's just as bad as, as going forward without his, uh, without his blessing. Well, I think, I think acting against what you know is more significant than stepping forward when you aren't sure. Right. I I do think that that's different. Um, and, and in the modern world, that's my biggest dilemma is not, you know, knowing God's will clearly and choosing to act against it, it's not knowing God's will. So yeah, it's, it's and, like a, it's like, it's a step down. Yeah. And here now, they clear, they don't, cl- don't compare me to the Israelites map. I'm pesty yeah. this morning. <laughs> no, see here, they clearly knew that they weren't supposed to go in then at that point, because right. God said, I'm not going with you. Right. And, and they went anyway. They're like, oh, well, we can do this. You know, we were supposed to do it. Like, I don't know. I guess I don't know exactly what went through their mind. If we thought about it, we could probably come up with all the justifications they they made up in their heads but at this point god said no i'm not going with you don't go and they went anyway so yeah that that uh, they got that clear no at that point and and uh, they didn't listen well deuteronomy 2 talks about what it's calling the desert years and says that they wandered for many days they turned and they journeyed into the wilderness it says they wandered for many days, and uh, many many days is sort of a uh, miss or or an understatement, I should say. I don't quite remember this specifically, but basically, God said, "Don't mess with the descendants of Esau." Mount Seir is is their land, so you're not going to get that. Uh, you're going to buy food and water from them because you guys are blessed. You have you have the means now to survive. You know, we've talked about how much stuff they carried with them from Egypt and all the gold they had. They clearly, this is clearly not a people of little means. So God is telling them, you know, don't, don't go in and start trying to start things with Esau or with the descendants of Esau because I've blessed you just fine and you can, uh, you can, you can just trade with them. I love that part. I love that God was still protecting these other nations that he had made promises to the descendants of Esau, the descendants of Lot, which Mm -hmm. of of which there were two different branches. Let's see. The descendants of Lot were the Ammonites and the Moabites. Moabites, I think came from his oldest son and the Ammonites came from his youngest son. 
the no his his oldest daughter's son and his youngest daughter's son those were like the Anyway, I just I just love that he made promises to these nations so many years ago and he's still protecting them and they never even knew, you know, this is they you know, they probably moved on and who knows which gods they worshipped and nope, God's still living up to what he said he would do for them and with them. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. I noticed that too, Karen, that that, it and that irony is kind of it's it's in it's in chapter two, verses 21 and 22. And in 22, they're talking about the Ammonites dispossessing these other people and he says as he did for the people of esau who lived in seir the edomites and i got that wrong a couple weeks ago when he destroyed the horites before them and dispossessed them and settled in their place even to this day so yeah as karen was saying god was blessing these other people which is so ironic because the the edomites and even the ammonites are being blessed and god is moving people out of their way but the Israelites are like, nope, we, we can't do it. Mm. I'm sure mm. Moses has got his throne in his hands and, or face palm. You know, he's like, seriously, guys. <laughs> so he's trying to reassure them that God has been with them. And there's a super cool verse in 7, one, two, seven. For the Lord your God has blessed you in the work of your hands. Now, notice that they actually did, had to do some work with their hands. Yeah. He didn't do it for them. He, he blessed the work of their hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. And I will say that me personally, I have underlined that he knows you are going through this great wilderness. And I have thought about that at times in my life. Is mm. that when I feel like, yeah, I'm on my own here. There's nobody that really understands what's going on. Is God spoke through that and reminded me. It's like, no, I know mm-hmm. you're the wilderness. You know, I have that underlined too for my reading is that, I don't know, Karen, you have the multiple. Um, I do. And mine says trudging. What verse is this? Uh, seven. Two seven. You know, and I, I think of that like we were saying, and, you know, sometimes I say it half-heartedly and jokingly is, you know, they were making circles in the wilderness. But, you know, it was, he said, he knows you're trudging through the great wilderness. And to me, that's, a, you know, it's a repetitive struggle, the day-to-day. And I think sometimes we just get lost in that. But just to know that God is with us is something that we just need to, to lean upon. That's interesting. All four of the versions I have translate it really differently. So the NIV says, he has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. That's really nondescriptive compared to trudging. Um, New Living Translation, which is a paraphrase, says he has watched over your every step through this great wilderness. New King James is trudging. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. And the message, another paraphrase, says he has guarded you in your travels through this immense wilderness. So really different. Yeah, so it talks a little bit about, uh, we've, we've already touched on here, about uh, how the land was given to Lot and his his descendants. Interesting, in 21, it says the Anakim were driven out by God for Lot. Now, you remember the Anakim, these were the these were the giants. These were the big guys. These were the ones that they were so afraid of. Yeah. And and he'd done it for Lot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and these people were like, oh, I don't know. But, um, but uh, it had been done. Let's see. Um, talks about crossing over the Arnon and engaging Sihon. So we're starting to get into, you know, things that we've talked about here. Um and where Sihon was defeated. So the Israelites are actually looking for peace. He reminds them, 
Moses, this is always Moses talking here. Moses is reminding them that they, that that the Israelites were looking for peace with Sihon. They were just going to pass through his land. And Sihon um, was the one who, he was the first one who said, no, you can't come through. And he attacked them. It says that God hardened Sihon's heart. And we've talked a lot about the hardening of hearts, like through Pharaoh and that kind of thing. Uh, but it says that he might deliver him into your hand. Well, this land was what was supposed to be, what was supposed to be Israel's land. And if they had brokered peace with him, um, they would have basically just remained a people without a home. And but God had said that they were going to get this. So it's just I found it interesting that the play here was that Sion himself was going to attack the Israelites rather than the other way around. And the Israelites defeated him soundly and uh, so that his land became theirs. Uh, Deuteronomy, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and this continues in three. It's basically yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, three continues as King Og gets defeated. I still love that name, Og. I just keep. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't help thinking of of Tolkien when I read that. I don't know why, <laughs> but um, but it says again, Og came out against us. So again, it was Og who attacked them. It's, it's almost like when, at this point, it was sort of like the Israelites. We're just doing their thing. And it was the actions of these other kings who really made it so that the Israelites would get this land. And so so Og uh, attacks him. It says they took all of his cities. It also says here, we, I think we've talked about this, Og was the last of the giants. And this is where it yeah. talks about his, his bed. It says it was nine cubits long and four cubits wide. And so if you do the math on that, that's about 13 and a half feet long by six feet wide so about as wide as a king-size bed but twice as long i kind of want this bed <laughs> i think that'd yeah. be uh so i actually looked it nice. up a king-size bed is a california king which is mm -hmm. the longest largest bed is six feet by seven feet yeah <laughs> and og's bed is 13 feet long yeah almost twice as long it's kind of hard to get your head around that now how much of that did he fill up i don't know maybe he just had that done as a maybe that was the uh, ancient equivalent of the monster trucks jacked up with giant tire <laughs> go get groceries um but nonetheless it was he was very big and it, they made a note of it here and it was kind of like a side note it's like oh yeah remember that giant who is dead now mm. um, yeah and that's kind of the purpose of reading through these things for the uh for the Israelites is remember the past uh, in verse 21, remember the past and don't fear for the future. In 22, mm -hmm. you shall not fear them. Mm -hmm. It's the Lord, your God who fights for you. Yeah. yeah. There's this thing, there's this text in uh, right at the beginning of chapter four that has stood out to me for years. Okay. So many years ago I had some, some missionaries, from another church show up at my door and they, they wanted to study the Bible with me. And I was curious about their religion and they were curious about mine. So we made this agreement that we would study each other's religion and the scriptures that underlay it without trying to convert each other. And it was, it was very interesting. I don't think this was something they normally did, but they were curious and I was curious and we did this for 10 months. And then their, um, their local church found out what they were doing, that they were not trying to convert me. And they objected strenuously and they sent a local church leader to our next Bible study. 
And it turned into this kind of, ooh, it just, it got really vicious. But anyway, that was the end of that. They were not allowed to come back anymore. But for 10 months, we had a really good time. And this was back in the 90s. But I, I across this verse in Deuteronomy, verse 2, 4, 2. Yep. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the the, uh, the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. And and when I read that in Deuteronomy, I thought to myself, well, wait a second. Doesn't it say that in Revelation? <laughs> right? Yep. So I rummaged around. Hang on. <laughs> it's in Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Yeah. Um, so I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes away words from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. Okay, well, coming at the end of Revelation, that's, 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 there's only two more texts in the whole Bible. Mm. <laughs> like, like, that's one of the final words that he wants to get in is don't add to this and don't take away. If you do, ah, you will get added or taken away. From, from the kingdom of God. Like, that's how important this is. And then, um, and that is exactly what we were studying at the time was, can you add to the scriptures and, and weigh it as if it's scriptures? And my stance was no, because of these texts. And then there's another one says kind of a similar thing in Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. And I just think that it's so cool that here at the end of the Pentateuch and midway through the Bible, and again at the very, very end, we're reminded, don't add to this. Don't take away from this. God's word is complete. You don't get to throw your opinions into it. You don't get to put the teachings of man into it. None of that stuff matters. You stick to what God said or you're going to run into problems. It's interesting, in Deuteronomy 4, and not, not even so much 5, but Deuteronomy 4 is, is actually cited in the New Testament a lot. If you've got a, a Bible with um, side margins, not the same as a cross-reference Bible, but uh, a Bible with um, the margin notes, this is there is a lot of this that shows up in the New Testament, a lot of it. It is quoted. In fact, I would wager to say there is more of Deuteronomy chapter 4 in the New Testament than there actually is in Deuteronomy 4. Mm -hmm. it, it gets quoted and used so much because chapter chapter 5 is the Ten Commandments. It's restated. It's like, here's the things. It's in different words, but it's pretty much the same things we find in Exodus. But Deuteronomy 4 is the... Why? Why? Why do we have these laws? Why should we obey them? Who gives them? What's the rights? What's the context for this whole thing? Uh, I know I have discussions not a million miles from this with my son, who is at the moment 11. <clears throat> we'll sit down and say, look, I'm the dad here. This is my house. And then we proceed to talk about the situation at hand. And it's that, I think, is Moses talking to the children of Israel. He starts off now, like, hey, children of Israel, listen. <laughs> it's literally what he says. You know, mm -hmm. listen and do these. And that's right before what Karen read here. You shall not add to it or take away from it. 
right. and inform. You know, he, 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 there's these, these statutes and rules. In six, he says, keep them and do them. And this is really, 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 really important. And I think people, especially of conservative uh, denominations and bent, get this, maybe a little confused with this. Because God's going to tell them what this does for you. In 4, 6, keep them and do them. And that keeping and do with them, that will be your wisdom and your mm-hmm. understanding in the sight of peoples. Not, not God. But of peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord, Yahweh, our God, is to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules and all this law as I set before you today? And he keeps going. Only take care to keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and they depart from your heart. God's big on the heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children, your children's children. And it, it shows up again in 40. Is that these, and I'm going to read 40 because I think this is really, really important. He says, therefore, you shall keep these statutes and commandments, which I gave you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land the Lord God is giving you. I mean, if you read that, it says, I'm giving this to you, number one, to be a witness. Other people are going to look at you and go, wow, those people are doing something right. What are they doing? And it is for their own good. It's so that they are blessed and so that they grow and it becomes a witness. But what we've read into that is, hey, if I do these things, I earn a golden ticket to heaven, which is just that's just not what it says here. Mm-mm. It's nope. to be a blessing. He said, look, these are these, this is going to make your life go well. And I can't think of a single one of those in Deuteronomy in, in, in five or in Exodus that if you if you're like, you know what, I'm just going to let's just throw this out there. Adultery. It's like, you know mm. what? It probably is not going to cause any problems. Mm. Personally, don't know anybody who has experimented with that or had it happen to them who says, yeah, pretty much it's yeah, pretty harmless. You know? <laughs> yeah, or at least that are being actually honest about it. Right. Um, because that affects more than one person. See, there yeah. may be one person who's like, yeah, I'm okay with it. Seldom do you find the other person say that. Yeah. Um, that's just one, for example. Or stealing. Nobody wants to go outside and find that their vehicle is gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just these things cause problems. And God is saying, hey, in the context of me giving you these rules, they're not. This is now what earns you salvation, which is really interesting because think about the commandments. None of these commandments say, now you shall sacrifice a sheep or a goat or an ox, and you'll put the blood here and here. Notice that that salvation system is not anywhere in these Ten Commandments. Right. They are completely separate, and they always have been. And this is... This is a big, big, big deal. And every time God gives the commandments, he says, look, I'm the one who saved you. Now let's talk about what I want you to do that's going to be a blessing to you and a witness. He doesn't say, okay, so do these things and then I'll save you. 
It just it doesn't say that. Right. The Garden of Eden. They sin, and God says, ah, oh, okay, well, we're going to have to have a plan of salvation. The plan of salvation comes first, then comes the the rules and guidelines. So it's grace first, and then it comes like, all right, I'm going to keep you guys out of further trouble. And the same with the Ten Commandments, and we can read this. It starts in Exodus the same way. I'm the Lord your God who delivered you. He, so he delivered them first, and then he comes up and says, okay, now let me tell you some things that will be good for you. And he separates these things, right? And, and we get that mixed up today. We get the salvation and the, the laws. And, I mean, Paul's dealing with that in Galatians. He's like, you guys, you're still thinking that keeping the law, he's specifically talking about circumcision there. He says, you're thinking that by doing these things, it's going to earn your salvation. And he says, and I'm telling you, if you rely on the things that you do, it will be not not useless. It will actually be against you. It won't work for you at all. So please understand that it's faith. And so the idea of a substitutionary sacrifice of blood is the method of salvation. That shows up way back, way back. We see sacrifice going on, and then it's codified in... Um, in the children of Israel, as they leave Egypt, he's like, look, this is what it's all about. We get real literal here with the tabernacle and so on. But that is a very separate and distinctly different thing than God saying, keep these laws. You know, I people, people talk about, you know, the God of the Old Testament being different than the God of the New Testament. And I get what they're, I get what they're saying. I get that perspective. And this topic is a good example of that because we're, we're reading things that say, you know, do these, do these things, do them yourself, teach them to your children and to their children after them. I brought you out of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be this, the people of this inheritance, obey these laws, right? And, and it sounds power oriented, authority oriented, and then Jesus comes along and Jesus says, and, and Jesus interjects the missing phrase of priority, which is, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? And I think that is the, the actual words. Like people say, well, when Jesus came, it was all about love and faith and whatever. And in the Old Testament, it was about obedience. No, no, no. <laughs> the, complete, the complete picture was, the plan of salvation is in place. Humans fall and need it. God tries to woo people to him. Um, you know, how does the New Testament say it? Uh, like he, he, because he loves us, we love each other, right? And, and by this, people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Like love is supposed to be the motivating factor and the outfall. And, and that is specifically addressed in the New Testament, which I think is why people kind of feel it differently. And in the Old Testament, it's more about like, I'm going to lead you and I'm going to set your nation up as an example to the world. That doesn't actually remove the element of love, but it isn't explicitly stated. Yes. I mean, to, I think that we can, but it's, but it's still here. It in is. Deuteronomy 29. Uh-huh. But, you know, but from there, you will seek the Lord with all your heart. And yep. you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Mm -hmm. When you're in tribulation, 
and these things come upon you in the latter days, which I think maybe has some dual meaning here, not just for Israel, but for us too. You will return to the Lord and obey his voice. Weird. You know, and you have a hard time reading through the book of John, which, by the way, is in the New Testament, without finding over and over John saying, quoting Jesus saying, hey, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love yep. me, it's just in John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's John 4, uh, 14, 15, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. You know, if he loves me, you will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. I mean, it's just kind of hard to avoid that it's that it's that it's there in the New Testament, but it's easy to miss in the Old Testament, but it's absolutely there. Deuteronomy four, it talks about it talks about making sure they don't fall into idolatry, because he says, You saw no form, and that's actually coming back to uh, chapter three when he's talking about when the people heard God's voice when he was giving the commandments, and that was something we had speculated about before, is whether or not they had actually heard. We're kind of told here in chapter 4, verse 12, it says, The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, and it says you saw no form. And so this is where it's talking about idolatry. It's like you don't try to make, don't try to create something to worship, because you wouldn't even have any idea what what I would look like anyway. But um, it says, don't act corruptly by making an image. It talks about don't worship the sun and the moon and the stars. So basically, you know, don't start worshiping nature either. Um, and I thought this was interesting. He says, because God gave them to everybody, the sun, the moon, and the stars. But you guys, in verse 20, it's like you guys are supposed to be special. How did he put that? The Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people, an inheritance as you are this day. So they were meant to be something. They were meant to be special and not to be worshiping anything common. Yeah, light on the hill so that all the nations around them would go, ooh. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, how are they doing that? I want to be part of that. Yeah. Exactly. And then verse 23, I thought was really interesting, too. It says, take heed lest you forget the covenant. Israel has to do their part in this thing still. God is giving them the land, but they are still expected to uh, be an active participant in the covenant and doing the things that God wants them to do. It says because God is jealous. That's an interesting phrase to, to hear, that God is jealous. Well, um, jealousy, I mean, jealousy to me... Jealousy in human form can be inc incredibly, like, bad. I think, um, first of all, God's jealousy is deserved, right? Uh -huh. If we believe that he is the only God, then then he has the right to be in that position. And if anyone should know that he is the only God, it is these people that he brought out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And and so, like, I, I, I have a high appreciation for when God says that he's jealous because he deserves it and because it's a reminder to me that he is supposed to be my top priority. And if I lower my gaze from him and I get sidetracked looking at things that are lower than him, he has the right to go, woman, I'm up here. Get back on track. <laughs> right. And, and, and to be and to be angry with me because he has proven himself to me. And who am I to be distracted by something commonplace that he made? Exactly. Now, it gets interesting. I think it gets really interesting here, starting in verse 25, when he says he tells the Israelites, when you act corruptly, 
And notice he doesn't say if you act corruptly. This is like <laughs> prophetic. When you act corruptly, uh, it says the Lord will scatter you. And that's where we talk about then. Don't, But don't worry. Because if you seek God, you'll find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. Yeah. But basically, it's, it's kind of like Moses is going, I, I know what's going to happen here, guys. And you guys are going to screw this up. And when you do... You're gonna get you're gonna get scattered around, and and this is all gonna get taken away from you. But don't be afraid, because it says in verse thirty, he will not forsake you nor destroy you. Which, by the way, this whole thing, Moses's warnings about these things, sounds a lot like Solomon as he's dedicating the temple. Hmm. He's saying, oh, "Hey, yeah. when you guys, this is for God, but when you turn away." And it goes bad for you, and you're thrown to the far-flung corners of the world in their, you know, their world, anyways. Turn back. Yeah. If you seek him, you will find him. Which I think, I mean, it sounds a lot like grace in the New Testament. It's not that unlike the story of the prodigal son. Really, here's a whole nation of people who go prodigal, so to speak, and God is reaching out to them before they ever even go, saying, hey, look, when this happens to you, please turn back. I will be here for you. Which is, if that's not grace, I, I mean, and it's all over the New Testament, uh, New Testament, of course, and it's all through the Old Testament here as well. Yeah. They're reminded here that, that this really is something amazing, something special. Verse 32, I like, I like this verse. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. We're we're coming up to the end of, it's not really the end, but I mean it's sort of the end of an era here where these people have been led in a way that nobody has ever been led before. I mean it's talking about God himself came and took them out of Egypt. God, you know, he, he did this thing for them. And it's it's such an amazing thing for them to be able to remember how how God worked directly in their lives. And because this is so special, this is why they're being reminded, keep his statutes and keep his commandments. Yeah, it's um, verse 35 says, you were shown these things. So above that, it talks about like, has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? You know, has, has God done this and this and this for any other nation? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. Mm -hmm. And then for some reason, I'm not really sure that the three uh, refuge cities on the east side of the Jordan get pointed out. I'm not sure yeah. why those three specifically, Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan. And it sounds like those were specifically for the tribes that were on that. Well, it was. But it's like each one of those areas was specific for the tribe. It was named for a tribe for those in those areas. But for some reason, just those three. There were six, but he, but only those three get get pointed out. Maybe it's just a reminder that maybe it's just a reminder that don't forget those guys are part of us over there too. No, yeah. I don't know. And if you if you if you go on that side of the river and you do any accidental killing, this is where you go. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so Deuteronomy five then is really. It's really a review of the Ten Commandments. And if somebody really wants, you know, an in-depth discussion on what was happening there, you can go back to, let's say it was episode 21 when we talked about that, uh, the real in-depth uh, review of, of the commandments. But 
Now, verse three was interesting to me, though. God didn't make this. He says, "How did I, I want to read it directly here?" The Lord did not make this covenant with your fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. I thought, now that was interesting because this covenant, we've been reading about this all the way since back to Abraham, you know, and but he's saying it's with you, you that are here right now. This is who the covenant is with. Well, he's talking Uh, specifically about the Ten Commandments, because in verse two, it says the Lord, our God, made a covenant with us at Horeb. Mm-hmm. It's not with our ancestors, but with us. Yeah. Yeah. But it Which says those who are alive today, those who are alive today, at least even in that context, you know, these are, at best, they're the children. You know, these aren't the adults. These aren't the ones who said, oh, you say it and we'll do it. You know, so I just found it interesting that the covenant is like, the covenant is with whoever's here right now. Yes. You know, you are, you, right now, I'm talking to you. My covenant is with you. Yep. You know, and yeah, it was spoken to them, but you are included in this thing. And, uh, and don't forget that. Yep. So the commandments, they're like, like Eric said, they're almost, they're almost verbatim. There's only a couple of small variances that I think might be worth pointing out here. Verse 14, and this is concerning the Sabbath commandment. This is different from the Exodus rendition of them where it says, you know, keeping the Sabbath, but it says that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now that I thought that was kind of an interesting thing that gets pointed out here that didn't get there, but remembering that, you know, this isn't just for you to be able to relax and take it easy. God wants this to be for, for everybody. And this isn't for you to be able to, uh, take advantage of somebody else. This is a time for. It's really a. It kind of sounds like a time of equality. Now I think about it. Even including the animals. Yeah, yeah, including the animals. Yeah. You know, so it's me too. If you know, since they're they're in the wilderness and they're on the move, and he's like, it's a preface for them going in and and getting into Canaan. That now they're going to establish lands. They're going to have it on their own. They're going to have servants. That kind of stuff. Just to remember this part. Mm-hmm. Opposed to you know them in the wilderness and not having or acquiring those things, now they're going to have them. It, so don't it forget. says this in Exodus. What's that? It says this in Exodus. Um, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Yeah, Exodus it says that. 10. But yeah. But it doesn't specifically say so that they can rest as well as you. That, oh, yeah. No, the, it just says don't was, do any work. Yeah. Yeah. That was the part that I thought that was an interesting reminder that this isn't this isn't just for you Israelites. This is for this. I want this to be for everybody. And I think this gets reinforced in my mind. It gets reinforced in verse 15 back in Deuteronomy 5, where he says, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. How many people that are being talked to at this moment by Moses were slaves in Egypt? We know of two. Right. Caleb and Joshua. Other than children, you know, but generally speaking, children aren't, aren't included into that kind of a conversation. So when he says you were, you were slaves in Egypt— 
It's like, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. I took you out. But he's still expecting these people that he's talking to at this moment to to stand keep up with this statute. And I've heard in the past arguments against keeping Sabbath on the seventh day, the way it's written in the in the commandments. Arguments being that, well, if you read the commandment, he sa- he says directly that it was uh, for for them because he took them out of Egypt. Well, he's talking to people who were not slaves in Egypt. These are people who had been wandering around for 40 years, uh, but very, very few of these were active slaves to the Egyptians. So, that is an interesting difference, though, because in Exodus, it, that the end of the fourth commandment references creation instead, which is much more universal. Mm-hmm. In six days, the Lord made heavens and earth and the sea and then all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, which is what we read in Genesis. God sat back. He looked at what he had done, he declared it to be very good, and he rested. Mm-hmm. So that that is a very interesting difference. Yeah. But I think it's still I still think it remains as being a universal thing because of, like I said, he's talking while he's talking about taking people out of Egypt. He's talking to people who weren't necessarily taken out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Right. When the chapter ends talking about how the people had been afraid of God's presence, how to see, I put a note here. So it's interesting to me that God includes the present generation in the actions of the past generation, the way he, the way it's uh, all written there. How did it go? Well, but it was just the, the people were afraid to talk to God directly and they had clearly heard vo- God's voice off of the mountain and, but they had sent Moses up. Right. And I had a note with that too, that just said, Hey, amazement. Like, wow, does not equal heart change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we keep thinking like, oh, if only I could see an amazing sign. If only I could see. And I mean, there's proof here. That, I mean, the gods, they describe it right here as the mountains in darkness and there's thunder and fire and flames. And they're like, oh, we can't even go near. We're going to die. I mean, it's That's a pretty grand scale sign. It didn't change their hearts. Which is where God is saying in, in 29, oh, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me and keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. Yeah. He's not saying, and so it will save you and you will earn your salvation. He's saying, keep my commandments. And on the other hand, I want your hearts to be with me. They're, they're related, but, but the commandment keeping isn't the cause of heart change. The, the commandment keeping is a result of a heart change. Right. And that's a thing we still struggle with today. And, you know, to Karen's thing about don't add to it and don't subtract it, I have this underlined in 32. Mm-hmm. You should be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. It's like everybody's like, okay, we'll be careful. And he's like, look, don't go to the left or to the right. Or mine says right hand or the left. Mm-hmm. I don't think it had the same political connotations we give it now, but he's basically <laughs> saying, hey, look, don't don't throw it too far and don't throw it short. You need to do what I've asked you to do. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. He's kind of like saying, hey, look, a crash on the left side of the ditch is just as bad as a crash on the right side of the ditch. Yep. Keep it where I told you to keep it. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't be adding stuff this way or that way, which is our temptation, obviously. And again, yeah. again, it ends up with saying, you know, that it may go well with you and that you may live long. It's like, look, these are blessing people are like, oh, the curse of the law. 
the, the, the burden of the law. Please show me in Deuteronomy where this is a burden. Exactly. It's, so yeah. there's this, they did this interesting study with little kids on playgrounds. Um, they tried two different ways of telling groups of kids where they could play. So sometimes they would set up a pole in the middle and they would say, okay, you can play any game you want. You can play anywhere you want as long as you play close to the pole. And then, um, and then they watched to see how the kids would translate that into like practical action. Like what, what does that look like when the children play? And the children, when the, when the guideline was very narrow, when the guideline was a pole in the middle of a group, the kids really didn't branch out much. Like they huddled close. They didn't really play. They mostly ended up sitting on the ground. They, and this is, this is like a, this is sort of like a pedagogy type of, type of curiosity, type of study. Like what, what ways should we instruct children so that they will grow and be their best, right? That's the idea. And then in, in the next phase of the study, they put, they put up perimeter markings and they said, you can play anywhere within these markings. And in that situation, the same groups of children took up the whole space. They felt free to branch out. They felt free to think for themselves, invent games that ran here and there and wherever, and they used the entire space. And and when I read that study, I remember thinking to myself, that's like the Ten Commandments. The Ten mm. Commandments, on average, put outside guidelines on your behavior. And your behavior then is a reflection of what you're thinking, right? So if you, if you run into, if you keep bumping up against one of the Ten Commandments or two of the Ten Commandments, and you keep running into it, you, you know that you're, you're playing too close to the perimeter. Like, pull it back a little bit. But, th but to me, I had always, I guess as a child, I guess my immature way of thinking about the Ten Commandments was, was you know, obey God. And, and that's not going to be fun, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to go against everything you want to do. Right. And so it was a narrow guideline. It was play around the pole in the center as opposed to play within these guidelines that are way out there and are meant to be an outside guide to your behavior. And I, and I remember reading that study and thinking to myself, huh, that's a really, really, really important perspective shift. And these kids, you know, these kids didn't even know they were being, being studied, right? But their natural reaction to being given one single narrow guideline was 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 limited creativity and limited free thought like they were they were continually pulling themselves back in as opposed to to when they were given a guideline that was like nope lines over there anywhere within that you're okay don't cross that line kind of an interesting kind of indication of how the human brain works and how how we create our own perceptions of what the rules are and how we feel free to act within those yeah it makes me think too when you hear people saying, "You know, why does if God is if God exists, why does He let, allow so much evil in the world?" Well, it's it's because the evil in the world comes when people don't do these things. You know, it's not like it's not like God just dropped us off here and said, "Okay, here you go, uh, make what you will of it." He gave he gave guidelines, he gave directions for how to. Like it says, he, he wants us to live well. He wants us to have long life. He wants us to have peace and prosperity. But 
there's so many people in the world who don't follow these things. And it's when these things aren't followed that the evils happen, you know, and, and, uh, blame gets put on God for things that aren't his fault. But the call uh, is still to the heart, right? So if the behavior is the outflow of the heart, right? What does Proverbs say? Above all things, guard your heart because from it spring all of the issues Mm. of life, right? So if, if the, if the order of the call is, if you love me, keep my commandments, then that is, Mm -hmm. that is where the problem lies. Yeah. Yes. Okay. The behavior is, can be terrible and the mistreatment on uh, that we heap on each other can be just awful but the but the real problem is a heart problem yeah it is and i think that's that is the uh the lesson being taught there at the end of five well i think that is going to do it for our discussion today i think next week we will get into uh chapter six through ten probably we'll just continue on through deuteronomy so in the meantime Keep in mind that you can reach us for any questions or comments. Email us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Look for us on Facebook at Adventure Through the Bible. Please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family and your enemies and and (laughs) random people on the street. (laughs) And be sure to subscribe so that you can hear us each and every week in your feed. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Stuff. This cat, man. What kind of cat eats cinnamon roll? <laughs> she eats potato <laughs> chips, too. She loves potato chips. Man, I go into the kitchen, and I, we keep a bag of potato chips in the cupboard just for her. <laughs> and like, I crave, I crave potato <laughs> chips maybe twice a year. And and so, I think it was last spring, I, I bought a bag of potato chips because I was craving potato chips. I just wanted salt and grease. And so, I'm crunching away, and she's like, you know, on her hind legs, you know, stretched up my leg, like pulling on my pant, like, can I have some? I want some. So mm-hmm. just sort of as a joke, I crumbled one up. I didn't want her to, you know, jab her tiny little mouth. So I crumbled one up and put it on the floor. Oh, she ate that thing. Now we always keep a bag of potato chips around just to feed the cat. This <laughs> thing is insane. <laughs> She's That's a funny cat. That is funny. <laughs> oh, man. She was so eager to get the cinnamon roll, like I had a cinnamon roll and a cup of coffee, and she's literally walking back and forth across my desk, across my Bible, and then when my Bible is inconvenient to walk on, she's trying to walk on the keyboard, because she's (laughs) trying to get at that cinnamon roll. I'm like, cat, stop. (laughs) That's funny.